welcome to this Touch podcast activity, which has been recorded for Touch Respiratory. In this podcast, Dr. Pilar Garrido, a leading expert in the management of non-small cell lung cancer, offers her insights on the role of immune checkpoint inhibitors in the treatment of patients with non-small cell lung cancer, including the use of biomarkers to guide treatment decisions and the potential impact of recent clinical trial data on daily practice. This activity is funded by an independent medical education grant from Merck & Co. Inc. and is jointly provided by USF Health and Touch IME. In our first interview, Dr. Garrido outlines the current role of immune checkpoint inhibitors in the treatment of early-stage non-small cell lung cancer. My name is Pilar Garrido. I'm a thoracic medical oncologist, head of the medical oncology department at Ramon y Cajal Hospital in Madrid and also associated professor of medicine at the School of Medicine at the University of Alcalá in Madrid. A pleasure. What are the current treatment options for patients with early-stage resectable non-small cell lung cancer? And what does early diagnosis offer in terms of opportunities for early intervention? I think that the first message is that early stage non-small cell lung cancer is a curable disease. So the goal is increase the rate of cure. For many years, we had the same standard of care. Usually start with a, a local treatment, surgery, and then offer a systemic treatment, chemotherapy, for those patients in which at the moment of the resection, nodal involvement was found or the tumor was big, for instance, T4 and 0 disease. But thanks of the advance in metastatic disease, uh, focus particularly in the monotherapy field, but also in targeted agents, in particular in the EGFR mutated uh, disease, we learn that we can imp uh, improve the result in early stages also for this uh, subset of patients. So now we are living very exciting time because we have new options for our patients uh, including immunotherapy in different scenarios in early stages or for the subset of patients with EGFR mutation in the scenario of uh, early disease 2 by adding osimertinib. What is the rationale behind using immune checkpoint inhibitors for the treatment of patients with early stage non-small cell lung cancer? Immune checkpoint inhibitors, in fact, represent a change of paradigm in many tumours. In fact, the first tumor in which we demonstrated the added value of using immunotherapy was melanoma, but then very quickly we learned the value in non-small cell lung cancer. So there is a clinical um, rationale, but also there is a, a preclinical uh, rationale. In fact, we really know that PD-1, PDL1, and CTLA-4 pathways contribute to tumor immune escape and can be targeted by immunotherapy. So there is no doubt, for instance, in non-small cell lung cancer, the first scenario was the use of immunotherapy as single agents in metastatic patients already treated. And for the first time, we learned that we can have some patients with long-term survival, even five-year survival. Then the clinical trials moved to the first-line scenario and in that, uh, we demonstrated that monotherapy with immune uh, checkpoint inhibitor, PDL1, PDL1, or uh, uh, these agents in combination with chemotherapy also offer a benefit in a subset of patients. 
Then we move the clinical trials to the potentially curative scenario, meaning stage 3 unresectable disease. And in this subgroup of patients, based on the Pacific uh, trial, we demonstrated that adding one year of durvalumab after completing chemo and radiotherapy, we can improve the results. So based on this background, we uh, performed clinical trials in the early stage scenario, trying to imp improve the rate of cure. And we are really living exciting time because some of the clinical trials demonstrated adding value in this early stage scenario, neadjuvant or adjuvant treatment. In the early stage scenarios, uh, scenario, we can select neadjuvant treatment or adjuvant treatment. And there is some pros and cons um, related to each strategy. For instance, when selecting neadjuvant treatment, we know that we can downstate the tumor and favor the surgery. We know that we can um, analyze the response, no? that we can have better way to assess the response because we have the initial biopsy and then the, the tissue and we can achieve pathological complete response that we think is a, is a good surrogate on long-term survival. But at the same time, there are some cons related, for instance, to the risk of delaying a curative surgery because around 20% of patients finally didn't go to surgery. Um, there is always a debate if this is because of the adjuvant treatment or just sure this patient never could have uh, go to surgery. And the other potential risk is adding toxicity because, as I said, we are thinking about increasing the the rate of cure, but we need to sh to be sure that we are not harming our patient. We are not uh, transforming a patient in a chronic uh, patient because we uh, because of the immune toxicity that uh, we can uh, he can or she can suffer. So this is always a matter of uh, of debate, but. In general, I would say that the prongs are clearly uh, higher in volume than the, than the cons. But always toxicity should be taken into account. Um, of course, at the very beginning, we need to check that this patient, the potential patient, uh, hasn't have uh, any concern to use immunotherapy because still today there are some subset of patients that they didn't, uh, they shouldn't receive immunotherapy because of previous uh, condition. Uh, when speaking about the benefit of immunotherapy, we always need to take into account that there are some pre-existing conditions that can prevent of uh, using or should, uh, we shouldn't use immunotherapy, for instance, in case of immune-related uh, previous diseases. There is also a continuous debate about the potential role of using corticosteroids previous to start immunotherapy, but I know that particularly in lung cancer patients it's very difficult to, to avoid in all our cases. But formally, I would say that for those patients with uh, immune-related previous uh, diseases, it's not a good idea to, to start immunotherapy regardless of the stage of the patient. Could you tell us about ongoing trials investigating immune checkpoint inhibitors in patients with early-stage non-small cell lung cancer? 
and how these trials may impact clinical practice in the future. We are living an exciting time because we have a clinical result that offer new options for our patient in the scenario of early stage. There are different strategies. One is the neoadjuvant setting, meaning is start the treatment with systemic uh, treatment and then go to surgery. And we have a positive uh, study. And based on this positive study, we already have approval by FDA and also EMA of this strategy. The study is the Checkmate 816. This study uh, a randomized patient to receive chemotherapy alone or chemotherapy plus nivolumab and demonstrated uh, uh, was a, a positive study because demonstrated an increase in the event-free survival and pathological complete response that were the two main endpoints of this study. In fact, in the last ASCO meeting, some updated results demonstrated that even in the long term, meaning on long term three years, the results were continued favoring the combination of chemotherapy plus nivolumab in this uh, neoadjuvant scenario. Apart from the neoadjuvant scenario, we also have some positive results in the adjuvant scenario, meaning patient at front uh, uh, went to surgery and then they receive immunotherapy. We have two approved agents, at least in the US, that are atezolizumab and pembrolizumab because we have two positive trials. The atezolizumab study is the Empower 10 study that demonstrated the added value of atezolizumab after completely surgery and standard uh, systemic treatment. This, uh, this combination had been approved by FDA and EMA, although the, the in, dif in, in potentially different subset of patients, while the pembroliz uh, pembrolizumab study, the PERS study, the Keynote 0991 study has been approved by FDA, but EMA decision is still pending. The design of the study is similar, and this is also a positive study. Finally, it's true that there is an emerging uh, strategy called perioperative, chemother uh, perioperative treatment in which uh, immunotherapy is adding at the very beginning, but also uh, as adjuvant treatment. And in the last ASCO meeting, we heard from Dr. Um, Heather Wickley the result of the Keynote 671 uh, study testing the role of pembrolizumab plus chemotherapy at front, then surgery, and then adjuvant uh, pembrolizumab. And this study, uh, again, was positive. And in this scenario, in fact, there are many other clinical trials ongoing. We already knew the, the early results of the uh, Durvalumab trial, the EGAN uh, trial presented at the ACR meeting this year. But there are many other agents, such as atezolizumab or nivolumab, in combination with chemothrone, then surgery, and that adjuvant uh, treatment. So I think that although our current present is fantastic for our patient, the future is even brighter because we have many clinical trials ongoing that probably are going to change, again, our standard of care in this subgroup of patients. What are the main challenges associated with interpreting trial data for immunotherapy in patients with early-stage non-small cell lung cancer? It's true that there are many challenges. One of them is to um, 
to the, we know that we shouldn't compare the result of clinical trials, no? And in fact, the endpoint of the clinical trials in the first, in the same scenario are not exactly the same. For though for some clinical trials, the endpoint is event-free survival, disease-free survival, pathological complete response, median pathological uh, response, etc. At the same time, we know that in early stage, we cannot wait years for having the final results in terms of overall survival. So there are some debate about the surrogate marker and what is the best one. And finally, we need to identify really the patients who benefit the most. And we know that the best biomarker for now is PDL1 status, but uh, there are also some debate about the threshold. So it's really challenging. And finally, I could say that from the clinical point of view, there is other challenge focus on the definition of resectability, because in some clinical trial, based particularly, for instance, in the perioperative study I have already mentioned, they focus on patients with locally advanced but resectable disease. And this is not a clear concept. I think there is a great zone between completely clear and resectable disease, completely clear resectable disease. So interpreting the result in terms of patients that finally didn't undergo surgery or the pathological or major complete response also depends on the subgroup of patients that you enroll in this clinical trial. So in fact, it's true that there are many challenges. Thank you for those interesting insights, Dr. Garrido. Now let's move on to our next topic, which examines the role of biomarkers in guiding treatment selection for non-small cell lung cancer. What are the current recommendations for biomarker testing in patients with non-small cell lung cancer? And how are biomarkers used to guide treatment decisions? Yeah, this is a very important question because we need to know what is the, the the patient who benefit the most for each therapy? So we need biomarker. And in fact, um, in, when speaking about non-small cell lung cancer, the, we need to know several things. The first one is the histology because the, the, the chemotherapy regimen is, going, is not going to be the same if we have adenocarcinoma or squamous cell carcinoma. And this is regardless of the stage of the, of the patient. Um, other by, apart from that, we need PDL1 status. We need PDL1 status in patients with advanced disease because, as I mentioned, there are some clinical trials that allow the use of immunotherapy alone in the first line setting only for the subset of patients with PDL1 greater than 50%. So we need to know that. In Europe, for patients with locally advanced disease, the pass based on the result of the Pacific trial, the EMA approval was focused only on PDL1 positive. So in unresectable stage three, we need to know the PDL1 status in order to offer or no Durvalumab for a year. And as I mentioned, based on the result of a neoadjuvant and adjuvant treatment, we also need this result because, for instance, the Empower 10 uh, trial, the adjuvant trial using uh, atezolizumab in Europe was approved only for PDL1 greater than 50%. So these biomarkers are really needed. Apart from that, we know that targeted agents can change dramatically the result in some subgroup of patients mostly in non-squamous, non-small cell lung cancer with advanced disease. So in this group of patients, we need to test some uh, genes. 
So for this reason, we have different guidelines. The uh, the NCC guidelines, the FDA guidelines, and in some countries, for instance, in my country in Spain, we have our own guidelines because it's linked to the reimbursement uh, options we have. So depending on the guidelines, this list of genes mandatory to be tested could be different. At least I could say that in patients with advanced disease, EFR mutation status, BRAF mutation status, ALK and ROS rearrangement are absolutely mandatory. But usually we try to to, to perform an um, uh, NGS that allow us also to identify KRAS mutation, MET is on is 14 skipping, red rearrangement, etc., etc. This in the, is in the scenario of advanced disease. But it's also true that currently in early stages, we need to know the EGFR status. So there are some debate about if we should perform also NGS in early stages, although our treatment is going to be different, at least for, for now, only in patients with EGFR mutation or not. And part of the debate also about when should uh, this NGS be performed in patients with early stage is linked to the possibility to achieving a complete response with a neoadjuvant strategy. So in that case, we should test all the biomarkers at the very, very beginning, just in case our patient achieve a, pa a pathological complete response and we don't have any additional option to test any kind of, of biomarker. But this is always changing, it's a, a matter of debate, but the key message is that we need histology, pd one status, and a biomarker for a test gene biomarker, at least for non-squamous. What data support testing for pdl one expression in patients with non-small cell lung cancer? Yeah, we have many data, many data supporting the testing for PDL1 expression in different scenarios. As I mentioned, the first scenario in which we demonstrated the added value PDL1 expression is in the scenario of advanced disease, metastatic setting. And in fact, we have some uh, option to be used only in patients with PDL1 greater than 50%. For instance, pembrolizumab uh, can be used as monotherapy in this uh, scenario. And in fact, in Spain is the only uh, drug uh, reimbursed in this scenario. We can also use uh, pembrolizumab plus chemotherapy or other agents, but this uh, test is uh, needed. As I mentioned, also in Europe for stage three unresectable disease, PDL1 status demonstrated a higher value is the only approval for durvalumab. We cannot use uh, durvalumab in PDL1 negative, and also some uh, results coming from uh, early stages demonstrated a consistent um, uh, result, some consistent result demonstrating that PDL1 status, uh, the, the higher, the best uh, result. Having said so, there are some, uh, some uh, concern about heterogeneity uh, that can we, we can uh, talk uh, later on. What are the limitations of using biomarker testing to guide immunotherapy treatment decisions? Yeah, this is uh, this is really a relevant question because, for instance, for the the initial clinical trials focus on 
patients already treated in advanced disease, we learned that even patient PDL1 negative can achieve long-term survival, five-year survival. So this PDL1 uh, biomarker is not um, is not the perfect. I could say so. So there are some limitations regard, uh, related uh, to that, and also uh, there are some limitations about what is um, because this biomarker is can be heterogeneous also within the tumor in different parts of the tumor or even in a in a metastatic patient depending of the place to be biopsied maybe the the biomarker can be different so really we have some some limitation uh, related to to that the clinical ones and related to the the test and then we have the issues about the immunohistochemistry uh, system, the threshold. So there are some uh, really some questions we need to 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 analyze a little bit better in order to have a better biomarker. What does the future of biomarker testing look like for patients with non-small cell lung cancer? Yeah, as I mentioned, PDL1 uh, is not a perfect biomarker. Uh, is a heterogeneous, also is a continuous biomarker. So it's difficult to to make a complete def separation among a patient with a PDL1 59% versus 49%, but we can use or we are allowed only to use a specific uh, a specific uh, st uh, treatment strategies. So it's clear that we need to add more on top of that. It's also true that PDL1 is quite robust in some clinical trials. Having said so, there are some biomarkers uh, and there is a lot of research, academic research in this area, focus on identifying other biomarkers in tissue. But it's also true that we learn that mechanisms of resistance are different when the patient never responds to immunotherapy at from primary resistance versus those patients who achieve a partial response and then progress. And it is not easy to uh, perform sequential tissue biopsy too. So to identify other biomarkers to add or to change PDL1. Uh, in terms of tissue is really complex. This is why there is a, a, a great interest on um, learning what is the potential value of liquid bi biopsy also in this scenario. So, for and in fact, there are some uh, results, for instance, for other biomarkers that we thought some years ago that it was going to be really relevant, the tumor mutational burden in tissue, that we also know that there are some positive uh, results in blood. So we need some biomarker and we have some positive results of some studies, not only focus on TMB, but also focus on DDR, circulating tumor DNA, PP53, tumor microenvironment, and finally, a gut microbioma. And in fact, for at least I think for the first time, ASCO organized a, a, a meeting within ASCO, big meeting about the role of microbioma as a potential biomarker for immunotherapy. So we are trying to identify other biomarkers because we know that PDL1 is good, but it's not perfect. 
Thank you, Dr. Garrido. In our final interview, we will explore emerging immunotherapy combinations and their potential impact on clinical practice. What is the rationale behind using immunotherapy-based regimens in combination with another agent in patients with non-small cell lung cancer? As I mentioned, there is a clinical rationale because most of the patients didn't achieve any kind of benefit from immunotherapy alone or even immunotherapy plus chemotherapy. We know that we have long-term survivors, about 20% or even 30% in, in, in patients with PDL1 uh, greater than 50%, uh, but it means that we need other options for, for most of our uh, patients. So there is a clear rationale. There is a rationale for those patients who have clear rationale for those patients who have primary resistance, but also for the patient who had secondary uh, resistance. And for the preclinical point of view, we also know that the exhausted T cell uh, present some other uh, molecules that can be target but other immunotherapy agents and that can help to reverse this uh, resistance to immunotherapy. So there is a huge investment on uh, academic research uh, trying to look what is the best uh, combination or new combination or new targeted agents within immunotherapy to be at to solve this problem of uh, resistance to immunotherapy. It's fantastic to, ca to have different options. Um, there is a rationale behind using uh, immunotherapy combination. We know that we can achieve good uh, long-term results in selected patients when using monotherapy with pembrolizumab or other agent. But in general, we use combination with chemotherapy. But for instance, we know the result of the Checkmate 9LA trial testing nivolumab, ipilimumab plus chemotherapy in the first line setting. And during the last ASCO meeting, we learned that the four years uh, result demonstrated uh, added value, particularly in two subgroup of patients, squamous uh, cell carcinoma, that are subgroup of patients in which we have usually less option, and also in patients with PDL1 negative. Very surprising, uh, let's say, but this is true. So um, there is a clear rationale for testing PDL1, but also for thinking about different combinations regardless of the status. And on top of that, we know that there are new drugs coming and we we will need to, to identify the different algorithm depending on the results and depending on the performance status of the patient, the histology and the final PDL1 status. What novel agents have shown clinical benefit in non-small cell lung cancer when used in combination with an immune checkpoint inhibitor? Yeah, there are a lot of, of research in this area. For instance, we know that at the moment of resistant disease, there are some other uh, molecules we, uh, that can be targeted. Um, uh, there are some clinical trials focused on uh, TEAT, LAC3, TIM3, that are some of these molecules that appear at the moment of resistance. This is also true that not always the, the robust background um, in, uh, based on the preclinical data 
really link to the result in clinical practice. In fact, there are some agents, uh, for instance, focus on TIGIT. The first one that was explored in clinical practice was tiragolumab, and although the result of the phase two study, the CT escape, what, uh, the results were modest, but good enough to start a phase three trial. Unfortunately, the result of the phase three study, the skyscraper one, uh, the results uh, were were negative. But it doesn't mean that TIGIT as a target is not is not good enough because there are many other companies testing other anti-TIGIT agents, and we already have some initial results very promising. Apart from that, focus on LAC3 also the same. We have modest result of, of, of our agents, uh, of the result of a randomized phase two study presented last year at the ASCO meeting by Dr. Philippe with some modest but interesting results because at the end we need no, to advance in this scenario. Um, uh, and I would say that most of the company currently are focused on identifying the best uh, additional immunotherapy agents to be used alone or in combination with standard anti-PD-1, PD-L1 uh, agents to solve particularly the, the scenario of uh, progressive disease, but also to cover the potential uh, immunoresistant at front by testing this combination in the first-line setting. Because another problem in clinical practice we have is that maybe when testing this new combination in patient very, very treated, in fact, in this scenario of T-cell very exhausted is not the best scenario in which we can offer signal enough for a combination to be explored in other scenarios. So we have a lot of debate about not only the drugs to be used in combination, but in what is the best scenario to be tested for the first time. What other novel therapies, such as antibody drug conjugates, are in development in combination with immunotherapy for the treatment of non-small cell lung cancer? We are living the, the era of antibody drug conjugate and be specific agents. Of course, there are a lot of uh, drugs coming and it's very, very interesting because this is due to the advantages of new technologies that allow to, uh, to merge the good things of the antibodies and the chemotherapy. So I think we are really excited about the potential of uh, these uh, new uh, drugs. It's also true that these drugs are coming at the price of different toxicity profile, and this toxicity profile can be uh, uh, not easily managed, men, uh, not easily managed in clinical practice, at, at least the first cycle. So we need to know how to manage. But the results are really uh, interesting in different diseases, not only in lung cancer, and we have a lot of hope about uh, some of them can modify our uh, standard of care. Another exciting point of this antibody drug conjugate is that this drug can be also used in combination with a PD-1 or PD-L1 agents. And in fact, there are some clinical trials uh, exploring this combination, for instance, uh, we know some studies testing uh, DAPO plus pembrolizumab in 
patients with PDL1 greater than 50% or DAPO plus pembrolizumab plus chemotherapy in patients with PDL1 uh, below uh, 50%. So it's not only about anti uh, testing the potential role of antibody drug conjugate alone, but also in combination with the standard drug we have for immunotherapy. So really exciting time. What potential does RNA technology have as an emerging treatment modality for patients with non-small cell lung cancer? Yeah, very good question. Maybe this is the future, but I am really pragmatist always. So I think that probably is going to be an, an option because there are some emerging data, but we need to wait until having a result before thinking that this also is going to change our uh, clinical practice. Thank you for your insights and this useful summary, Dr. Garizo. Thank you for listening to this Touch podcast. You can access additional content on this and related topics at www.touchrespiratory.com. 